Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. One of the things that's really frustrating, I mean, what progress have we seen NASA do really since the Apollo mission? Vanessa Clark and William Kowalski are here with a pitch that will get space nerds everywhere pretty excited. The next wave of space tech, think crude missions to Mars, space tourism, is fast approaching. But it's not NASA that's funding a lot of these projects, it's venture capital. Can today's startup, Atomos, get a piece of the action? I'm Josh Muccio, and from Gimlet Media, this is The Pitch. Our investors today, Jillian Manis. Jillian is a partner at Structure Capital, where they've invested $98 million so far in high-profile startups like Uber. Phil Nadell. As a serial entrepreneur, Phil built companies that sold for hundreds of millions of dollars. Now he manages one of the largest syndicates on AngelList. Michael Hyatt. Michael built and sold two software companies for over $500 million. And now he invests for himself. Howie Diamond. Howie is our rock star investor. No, really, he was in a band. And since changing gigs, Howie's invested in over 50 startups. Ready? Three, two, one. Here's William and Vanessa. Hey, hello, good morning. Good morning. Um, So we're at Atomos, so we're a space company. What's it Um, called? Atomos. So um, I guess to set the stage a little bit, so I'm Australian living in Denver, and when I want to go visit my family, drive to the airport, I take a tram to the correct terminal, I take a 747 across the ocean, I then take a smaller aircraft to my parents' hometown, and then I drive to my parents' house. So imagine if the only transportation infrastructure we had was the Boeing 747. I would have to take a Boeing 747 to Denver and land in my parents' driveway. Then imagine if I deplaned, being the only passenger, And then the plane self-destructed, and I couldn't travel any further. So this constrained transportation infrastructure actually exists in one industry today, and that's the space industry. Yeah, I guess when you put it that way, it is pretty crazy that rockets can only be used once. But a company called SpaceX, maybe you've heard of them, thinks they can solve that problem with their reusable rockets. So what is Atomos trying to do? But launch vehicles or rockets are only really good for getting into space. They're not good for doing the last mile or, in space, really, the last 20,000 miles. They're not very good at precision placement of assets. So at Atomos, we're helping to solve this problem. So we are developing a spacecraft that is optimized to move other spacecraft in space. So where are you in this business? I mean, are you doing this? Are you raising money? Is this this a PowerPoint? Where are you at? So uh, the technical work on this company has been ongoing since 2013. So my background's in aerospace. So I've worked for two large aerospace uh, companies and the German space agency DLR. In Uh, what capacity? Could you give a little bit of depth? So uh, to begin with, I started in launch vehicle design. I was in the future launch vehicle division at Airbus Defense and Space for a few years. That's so cool. It it was a dream job um, on paper, but in reality, 
there isn't that much innovation because everyone's so risk averse. Oh. So um, from that role, I moved to the German Space Agency and I worked in, in interplanetary mission design. So focused on very high capacity in space transportation systems. So to move about in space, you should be using different types of rocket engines and propulsion than to get to space, which is something that we haven't quite gotten to yet. Have you launched anything yet? So our company has not, but in my career, I have worked on about nine spacecraft. Three of these have launched and one is actually a flagship NASA mission, which is launching next year. I want to make sure I understand the vision here. You described it briefly, but you know, I'm not so quick on these things. Sure. So You're not a rocket scientist? Exactly. <laughs> so you you're you're creating a vehicle that will take satellites from a certain point after the launch, a certain point mm-hmm. in space into their desired location? Yes. Is that that's the key? So that and the benefit of that is that the launch vehicle can be de- redeployed more quickly, more efficiently. So the key driving factor is that our engines and spacecraft are optimized only for in-space transportation. If we break up delivering a satellite into two segments, getting to space, moving about in space, we can optimize it. The average cost to access low orbit is only $35 million. If that satellite wanted to go directly to its target orbit, which is typically an altitude of 20,000 miles, it would cost more than $100 million. Okay. That's currently okay. what they pay? On average, yes. Okay. All right. So keep going. We've got to 35. Okay. Keep going. So the satellite is launched to this low orbit. Our spacecraft, which is essentially a space tug, it rendezvous with the rocket upper stage, retrieves the satellite, and transfers it to its final destination. And we can reuse our space tug. So it would then cycle back down to the low orbit, pick up another satellite, and it can perform this several times before we need to refuel it. Picture a spacecraft hanging out low Earth orbit, just waiting for a satellite to meet up with. When it does arrive, it'll ferry that satellite to its final destination, which seems like a clear solution to what Vanessa's describing as a big problem. So why isn't NASA doing this? So NASA... um, NASA had planned to have this infrastructure when they created the space shuttle. So the space shuttle, as you know, could only take astronauts to a low orbit. So maximum 800 kilometers altitude, which is where the Hubble Space Telescope was. Why would NASA, after going to the moon, decide that they only need to reach 800 kilometers? They'd actually also designed a vehicle like this, a space tug, to take astronauts to the moon, to Mars and beyond. But it got debudgeted. It got defunded. Why? Why did that get debudgeted? The, the space shuttle budget and operating cost was 10x above expectations. It's also because NASA's budget gets set at a yearly cadence and the missions get rewritten with every administration. Oh, wow. So it's, it's one of the things that's really frustrating. I mean, what progress have we seen NASA do really since the Apollo mission? You know, for Apollo, they had a set goal. They went and executed. Now they're sort of, let's just yeah, run technology Private companies are coming in now, though. Exactly. This is one thing that enables our business model. So this $35 million cost to low orbits is only going to get lower, but the cost to high orbits is going to stay about the same. SpaceX is decreasing it a little bit, but not by orders of magnitude, like a lot of the new commercial companies are doing for the low orbits. Is this on Elon Musk's radar or Branson's radar or? So first Elon Musk, 
they don't need it. They already have a majority of the market capture. Our system enables every other company to compete with SpaceX on a cost point and so, beat them on a reliability So does SpaceX point. have a space? Tug. Tug? No. They don't need it right now. Okay. They don't need it. Why would other satellite companies just launch their satellites with SpaceX then instead of working with you? For two reasons. So first, I guess three reasons. So firstly, SpaceX's reliability isn't top tier. Uh, the U.S. government still wants to launch with the heritage providers. Well, they've providers. had more successful launches than you have. So, I mean, they're... But the thing is that a launch vehicle is expendable. It is a one-use system. Would you like to fly on a plane that's flown once, or would you like to fly on a space tug that has flown hundreds of times and been demonstrated Wait, to be I thought, reliable? I, I don't know a lot well, about well, it, but yeah. I thought SpaceX is making reusable rockets. Now, okay, so the difference between a space tug and a space rocket is that 90% of a, of a rocket is propellant. You have something that is thinner than an aluminum can with a computer on top. That's a rocket with a rocket engine. Our system is more of an aircraft. It has more safety systems, more redundancy, more reliability. What you just heard there was a rocket scientist trying to translate rocket speak to investor speak. The bottom line, the Atomo spacecraft isn't a rocket. It's a remotely piloted spaceship designed to live in space. In fact, it needs a rocket to launch it into space in the first place. But once it's up there, it can do its job of moving stuff around. Well, that's the idea anyway. You don't have really a viable product yet. You don't have something that is reliable yet, correct? No. You, you have, okay, so so it's basically you're saying it will have the reliability. Yes. It will have, okay, yes. because it's not a proven. Between now and 2022, yes. you need $35 million. So that's, okay, that's to launch the spacecraft, to develop and build the spacecraft. Our total capitalization needs are going to be, you're, you're going to widen your eyes at this, it's going to be around $160 million. Now, more than 50% of that can come from non-dilutive funding and government sources. Mm -hmm. We are also partnering with companies who have developed this technology before and looking at joint commercialization agreements such as profit sharing. So our raise strategy, worst case scenario, we're looking at raising over the next four years, a total of 80 million over Uh, four raises. About 70. 70, over four raises. And how will that be used? Okay, so we are currently in our pre-seed round. We're about 50% of the way through our raise. It's just a 1 million pre-seed for some of our key business and technical risks. So there is a lot of technical work to do, um, but we're looking to launch a demonstration mission in end of 2020 or early 2021. Right, so the million dollars now, as Vanessa was mentioning, is really to get us to a preliminary design review. So it's to be... Oh, hey, this is William, Vanessa's co-founder. Vanessa's been running the show up until now. But he's jumping in here to explain some of the nuts and bolts. So it's to be able to hire on full time some of the technical contractors that we uh, have and build out the technical team to get to that milestone. So I think one thing that I want to add, so with this one million, so in addition to burning down business risk and securing these partnerships, we are building value. So all of the IP that we're developing, all of the license agreements we're securing, technology that DARPA, the DOD, and NASA will want in the next five to 10 years. So we make ourselves very valuable for acquisition or future investment. Um, so, so is your idea to get acquired before you launch? So that is the most likely exit strategy in aerospace yeah. is acquisition by a large aerospace company. Yeah. But so, pre-launch before you build in or launch anything? Yes, yes. actually. 
So, I mean, the true motivation was when I was an advanced concepts engineer and realized that the tech for this business could also get humans to Mars in 30 days. We want to push that envelope in terms of knowledge. Um, but I mean, it's also a fantastic opportunity. We've highlighted technologies that the large aerospace companies and NASA will want within the next decade. And we're securing all of that IP. Wait, hold up. Did she just say our technology could get humans to Mars in 30 days? Yeah. Yeah, that's what she just said. But to my surprise, the investors didn't stop her on that. They're more worried about things back on Earth. Who would be your customers in five or ten years? Yeah, so um, there are, I guess, three groups of satellite operators who we're in discussions with right now. So there's government customers. There are the large telecommunications companies, such as Comcast, and they are the most lucrative providers. They are also looking to replenish the satellites that they have in deep orbits at a more rapid rate to keep up with technology advancements and bandwidth. So, so that's all in lower Earth orbit or that's in geostationary so orbit? This the, is the, the, like the broadband market satellites, those are all in lower Earth, right? Or are there broadband geostationary satellites? No, so currently geostationary Earth orbit is still the most lucrative orbit. Right about now, we're all starting to wonder when Howie became a rocket scientist. I am so impressed by your knowledge on this. <laughs> I invested in a space company. Oh, that's Space Tango. Why. I'm thinking to myself, how the new... heck would he know this? I'm a, new, hey. I'm a new space enthusiast. The new frontier. The final frontier. <laughs> the final frontier I'm is such an area of uh, huge intrigue. And I, I just want to say, this is fascinating. It's very intriguing what you're doing, but not at all up my alley. I mean, this is just way, way too early for me and too capital intensive and not a good fit for me. So I, I wish you all the best, but I'm, I'm going to pass on it. Completely out of the blue, Phil goes out. But there are still three investors interested in exploring the final frontier. The pitch continues when we come back. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome back. Phil went out right before the break, but Vanessa and William still have a chance at investment, and the investors want to know where Atomos goes from here. Well, besides space, of course. Pretend you don't get acquired because maybe that's probably the way to do it, right, William? I mean, I mean that's the prudent thing to do. That it doesn't always work out that way, right? 
For I mean, there's a few different areas for us to get acquired. So but, there's. But let's the, say you sorry. don't. Let's say you I, have I think to run we a talk company. About let's say. Well, but <laughs> yeah. but yeah. but let's pretend because a lot of people, you know, I always get worried when people's strategies to get bought, and you know maybe that works sometimes, but most of the times it actually doesn't. So walk us through what happens to an investor today. Yeah, I mean, so as assuming a, you need eighty more million dollars as a finance or guy, if we were never acquired. I would love for us to IPO in the same vein as SpaceX, and you know, as space becomes more of a standard commercial industry, I think that's going to become more common in the future. So, based on what we project with a couple of contracts a year, we would exit about one point three billion dollars in twenty twenty five. How much is a contract? Fifty four million dollars. Yeah, talk about the revenue mm-hmm. model, please. So our full commercial vehicle will be operational in the early to mid-2020s with $500 million annual revenue. Um, if, in fact, you're able to build it. Yes. Is Are there any concerns about that? I mean, be really honest here. You have not. <laughs> uh, of what course could go be, wrong? Uh, right. Not much. I don't think you would have given up your positions um, to sort of launch <laughs> launch into some into the totally unknown all right mm-hmm. so take me through a bit of what is the risk in terms of this not working at all a lot of the risk we won't be carrying because we are relying on existing technology that's good so the biggest risk is going to be the power source okay so to put it in perspective one third of all on-orbit failures of satellites are because of power failure so power electronics in space you get hit by a, a particle from from deep space you lose the system another aspect of this that i have not really discussed is that we really want to use a nuclear power source in space. So NASA has flown a nuclear-powered spacecraft before that has a fission reactor and the Russians have flown 30. It's not new technology. Uh, We're actually taking a terrestrial reactor and terrestrial technology, so these small, very, very safe reactors that are being deployed in northern Canada. We want to utilize this in the space environment. So this may just be the sci-fi nerd in me. I think this is so cool. What's fundamentally different about Atomos is they're using a mini nuclear reactor to power their spacecraft. Yeah, I know. But that's assuming everything goes according to plan. And another critical part of this that I have to say is if that technical risk is realized and we can't use this system in space, then we use solar panels. Why wouldn't you just go to solar panels in the first place because they're not as efficient and they won't provide as much power? Is that? So essentially, with our nuclear vehicle, we can do seven transfers before refueling. With Mm -hmm. a solar vehicle, we can only do two or three. So our operating costs to refuel that vehicle are much, much higher, reducing our profit margin. Okay. um, Wow. This is uh, interesting. I I, I think as I step back and take a look at this, I think the issue for me is really simple. I have no way to calculate the risk of this deal. Um, It is very exciting. Uh, You two are very smart and you are very passionate. Uh, I have no understanding of really what this is. Uh, I don't like to invest in companies that kind of have to sell within the next four years uh, as, as a bit of a strategy. I like to invest in businesses that have a scalable, defensible business that I, that I can buy into. Uh, and for that reason, I, I just don't think I can invest in this. Michael is out. But what about Jillian? Oh, my gosh. I, I, am, I am absolutely torn here because, um, because 
I am a big believer in investing in people. That's my first and foremost. The two areas that I invest in, the two points, um, the character traits that I look for is persistence and curiosity. Um, I know zero about this area. And so I add zero value, okay? I could only come in and give you money, which I don't know if that makes sense to you, all right? And by the way, you're a badass, but as far as my gut is on this and assessing the both of you, I think you guys are going to hang the moon. Um, I do need to learn more about this, and maybe this is my on-ramp into space. Only one investor remains, Howie. How do you alleviate te- technological risk with a million dollars for a company like this in 12 months? So focus on the power electronics. So the, the substrate mm-hmm. and wafer materials exist. We just have to build and test the components. And you can build it for a, mil- a million? I'm assuming you're using a million for other... You said it wasn't just for alleviating te- technological risk. It was for... A couple strategic hires, or what was the other use of it's a million proceeds? For. So um, it's it's for strategic hires for the design and development of the vehicle. It's for a lot of the licensing agreements oh, and um, um, patent prosecution. In terms of the technical risk mitigation, mm. we're doing a lot of that in partnership with universities. So the capital cost for that is actually very low. That is less than fifty percent of our costs. I have, luckily for both of you the right risk profile for this kind of deal. I've invested in a space company before. I'm excited about new space and the commercialization of space industry in general. Um, I do see the economic barriers of entry being um, significantly exponentially lowered for access into space. You know, if you can get over that initial hurdle, the technological risk, the market risk, the environmental risk, which are not easy to get over, there's a ton of funding that can come your way um, from the VC world, I also know that um, there's some grant money and, and there there are there are funding channels for this. Um, Say government contract rather than grant. Okay, government so. contract, <laughs> sure. Um, Love this girl. I do too. I really and I like th- I like thinking about the possibilities here. I want to get on this rocket ship, figuratively and literally. How much? Twenty five k. And we also, and I have experience working with space companies. Would that be something you two would be open to? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Great. It's great I'd love, I'd love yeah. to partner with you guys. It's, this yeah. sounds incredible, and I get giddy when I think about the possibilities. <laughs> okay. so. um, fist pump. <laughs> All right. Fist pump occurred. <laughs> Thank in, you folks. so, Thanks so a lot. Thank you. With a deal from Howie in hand, Vanessa and William start making their way out of the room. And then the investors give us a peek behind the curtain. This is the voyage of the Starship <laughs> Atomos. Starship I'll pitch. see you in uh, I, Did you hear the record Earth scratch? Orbit. I heard the record scratch. We just need $160 million. Now don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, Only $160 million. Why not? I'm good. No, but you know what? There are so many people. What Howie said is true. They just have to, have to hit this once One, their path, yeah, right? Yeah, they've got to prove the path. concept. That's it. And I'm telling yeah, you, I'm everybody, you look at Bezos. Well, you look at Bezos, who's looking, hey, putting look, so much of his money You call Richard in. and, you know, you do space. I, I don't it's know. I'm giving myself work. such a pat yeah. on the back for waiting 20 minutes to go out on this game. Yeah, I had because to. Because in the first minute, <laughs> I was, I was like, biting my 
I tongue. The I could get out of the first minute. But you wanted really something? To... Uh, this was she a... said space. I was like, I'm out. Yeah, but you wanted something? That was my initial, my initial reaction was like, I know nothing about this. This is not going to happen. Right. I'm out. But I waited and I waited because I needed to unpeel this. This is a company that will go to zero or it'll be a $20 billion company. And they're understating the market. I don't think it's $350 billion market. I think it's a a half a trillion dollar market. That's a wrap. That's a launch. Fantastic. Okay. A few months later, I caught up with Vanessa and William. And the first thing I wanted to talk about was... The fact that in her pitch, Vanessa said the earliest a real-life space tug would get sent into space is 2021. So, Atomos is pretty different because the revenue, I mean, the product is years off, let alone the revenue. What's, what's different about that, about pitching a business like this to investors? It's very, very difficult. It- Um, A lot of investors are used to having traction and early revenue and just used to pumping in money to fuel growth. But with us, it's so different. We've only really had success with investors who've invested in other hardware companies, uh, like automation, robotics, and so on. Oh. Yeah, Yeah. and I'll say, you know, some of the, not even just investors. So we were talking with one of our contractors, um, an engineering contractor yesterday, who we were offsetting some of her regular compensation with stock options. And she told us, you know, the reason I'm willing to take that kind of risk with you guys and take less cash payment is I know when this happens, this is going to be big. It's going to be game-changing for the space aid industry. Mm. I love all this stuff just because I like space. I'm a huge sci-fi fan. And so I think I told you guys this before you came on the show. So I was really, I was, I was nerding out during your pitch. Um, And uh, speaking of nerding out, there was this particular moment where you mentioned offhandedly that your tech could get humans to Mars in 30 days. And the investors, they didn't pick up on it, but it caught my attention. Now, NASA predicts we can get humans to Mars in about eight months. How are you going to get them there in 30 days? So without going into the detailed physics of it, um, the reason is... We have two things that are married together in this type of spacecraft. First, we have highly efficient engines. So we have 10% the propellant consumption that you would get with a chemical rocket engine. We're using electric thrusters. And secondly, we have a good thrust to mass ratio. We have a relatively lightweight spacecraft that's able to produce high thrust because we have such high electrical power levels. And those two things are really what we need combined to get to Mars in um, less than two months. So it's the best technology besides fusion, besides a warp drive and all of those f- futuristic uh, <laughs> concepts to get around, which is really why we're focusing on it. That's so cool. Okay, so it's because of the nuclear reactor. Um, so if that's true, if your tech can get us to Mars faster, why isn't that your business? Instead of building space tugs, which sound relatively unsexy compared to getting us to Mars. So, I I mean, we could potentially get capital by selling that story, but we want to create a sustainable business. We don't want a science project. We are first focusing on something that provides us with strong revenue. And maybe like SpaceX or these other space companies, we would in the future support that type of service. But you're aware 
not scientists where um, we're building a business. So you're, you're practical rocket scientists. We are practical rocket scientists, except I'm not a rocket scientist. Vanessa is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So thinking back to the pitch room, you got investment from one investor from Howie for 25000 What happened after the pitch? Did that come through? Yeah, so we're, um, so the pitch was a, a couple of months ago for us now, and we're still closing our raise. We've, um, it's been a, a big roller coaster. I mean, it's a very, very different value proposition and deal to what a lot of VCs are used to. But Howie and Alpha Bridge have stuck with us. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, they've been just fantastic. We had a month and a half ago now an issue where we had to actually let go of our lead investor. Um, over disagreements on various things. Oh, and Howie what? was one of the first people. We, we reached out to all our current investors, and Howie asked for me to call him on his cell phone. I was driving to meet my friends. I talked to him, told him what was happening. We said, we want to be up front. We, lost our, we let go of our lead. And he's like, oh, we're still in. We're still committed. In fact, Jake and I are going to rally the troops, and we're going to see what we can do to connect you with more people and close this race for you. I mean, they've been huge supporters of us, and we couldn't be happier that we met them. Whoa. Okay, so you're saying your main investor, who all the other investors were kind of counting on to lead the round, set the terms, make sure the round got raised, you guys had to, you guys had a falling out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Can you say anything about what happened with that investor? No. Uh, so uh, the one thing I'll say, it was very much at the end, and it had to do with um, kind of corporate structure. And we did not see eye to eye how things were set up internally. And there wasn't, we tried to meet halfway and it just didn't happen. So we stuck to our guns. We spoke to a lot of our other investors and advisors for their input. And we all made the decision that we had to walk away. Well, that's a bummer. You know, even if we could compromise with them in the end, they had demonstrated that they didn't have the ability to compromise and that they didn't respect the decisions that we made early on in the formation of the company, which would have made them, in the long term, not the best partner for us anyway. So if I had to give advice to, to anyone regarding this, it's know what your limits are and don't compromise your values. Hmm. Um, so then Jillian, uh, she said you know, she wanted to stay in touch after the fact. There was some interest there. Has that turned into anything? Yeah, so unfortunately, I think Jillian got cold feet even before we had a follow-up call. And so really a week later, she sent a very lovely email saying that she just couldn't wrap her head around the industry we're in and that she didn't think that she would be value-added. I mean, that was something that she alluded to uh, during the pitch. We're a little bit sad, but we we understand her perspective. Yeah. All right, so let's say you fill out the round. What happens next? Uh, well, we're going to take a week vacation. <laughs> um, we have a lot of things that are ready to pull the we're ready to pull the trigger on as soon as we we have the cash. So hiring some very accomplished people, things such as um, license deals, um, patent filing. After that, we're um, diving deeper into engineering and we're starting prototype build right away. The fun stuff. 
<laughs> Hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, for sure. More space startups. More space startups. <laughs> Seriously, though, if you have any good space companies, send them my way. I mean, come on, it's space. The possibilities are limitless. Let us know what you think on Twitter or Facebook at The Pitch Show. Or if you really love us, I mean really love us, you'll go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review because it helps new people find the show. The only thing better for helping new people find the show is if you actually just tell them about it. So do that too. And if you know of another space startup we should bring on the show, send an email with your hot tip to thepitch at gimletmedia.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Our show is produced by me, Josh Muccio, Molly Donahue, and Kareem Maddox. We are edited by Blythe Terrell. We're mixed by Enoch Kim, original music composed by The Musemaker. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Lisa Muccio planned the recording of this pitch. And our disclaimer, no offer to invest is being made to or solicited from the listening audience on today's show. You've been listening to The Pitch from Gimlet Media. We'll be back with a brand new episode next Wednesday.